the series that we have been on called The Journey. But we're going to take a pause for just a little bit. I feel the Lord had put something in my heart as we were talking about relationships um, in part two, where Christianity is all about relationships. Before we moved on to part three, um, I wanted to put a pause on it, and I wanted to talk about um, something in the area of relationships, what I want to call um, defining the relationship. Defining the relationship. You know that over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about relationships from the perspective of a table. Um, at Restoration Church, our logo is a table. We believe the table is an important part of um, the ministry God has called us to here in our community. So we talked about the table of intimacy, the table of communion with believers, the table of connection. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about how to define those relationships, if you will. Um, if you're familiar with the term defining the relationships, a lot of time we use it in dating relationships where, you know, maybe a couple starts dating and they're looking to define, you know, are we an exclusive couple? You know, are we working towards marriage? Like, let's define the relationship. And a lot of times, especially in our culture today, we don't want to define the relationship in dating. We just, you know, let's just let it happen. Let's see where it goes. Like that concept. And some people don't want that. They want to go into a relationship, and where are we headed? If we're not headed somewhere, I don't want to be a part. Other people are like, meh, I don't want to define anything. I just, you know, I'm having a good time, and that's all I want. Um, and so what, when it comes to relationships, what does the Bible say? How do we wrestle with these? Uh, when it comes to intimacy with God, so many people love Jesus. I mean, they, Jesus is my Savior. Oh, I, I, He is my Savior. I love Him. But the relationship we have with Jesus needs to be defined not just as Savior, but also Lord. I mean, when we come to Him, what we're saying is, you call the shots. And so, if I don't like what you say in your word, if I don't like how Jesus lived His life and called me to live, then I, I, I'm not in relationship with him. Because if he's not Lord, he's not Savior. Amen. And so I don't know maybe what you've been taught, but over the months, that, that's what we're going to talk about, how to define our relationship with him. How do we define relationships with other people? You know, when it comes to the table of communion with the body and con the table of connection, how, can, do we know whether people are in, in the body or not in the body? Like, where's the line? How do we know if someone's put faith in Christ really? Because, I mean, every single one of us, if we lined up over here today, I bet if we said, okay, here's the first person, someone tell me a flaw in that person's life, some, some sin that you see, some character flaw. I don't think there's a person in this room or watching online that we wouldn't be able to come up with something. And so how do we know when someone's really put faith in Christ and when they haven't. Like, I don't know if we always know whether we're sitting at the table of communion or connection. And I don't know that we have to know. I think we treat all people with the same type of love and respect. We, in our, our culture today, our church culture, we define um, the body of Christ as everyone who agrees doctrinally with me. If you err in any form of doctrine apart from me, we have to agree on every point of doctrine. And if we don't, then we're not in fellowship. And we talked about how from Ephesians chapter 4, unity is, I put faith in Christ. And how many of you know, when you put faith in Christ, He cleans you from the inside out. And sometimes that takes, well, 
he's still working on me. Anybody done yet? Anybody out there who you have put faith in Christ and you are mature and complete and you lack nothing? Okay, just making sure there's no hands up. Yeah, we're not. We're, we're in progress. And we, we encourage one another to take steps closer to Him. And so when I talk about defining the relationship, I don't know that we're going to be able to define it black and white, who's in, who's out. That's not what I'm talking about. But as much as it depends upon me, how do I define this? What level of effort, intensity, relationship am I responsible to because of my relationship with God? And as a part of that, I want to talk about the history of our church a little bit also. These are two things that I really feel like the Lord dropped in my heart to reconnect to our past um, and talk about where we're going as we talk about this idea of relationships. And so last week we had Pastor Brad Walls, or missionary, global partner Brad Walls with us, and uh, I, I talked about Tilly, his mom, who had passed away, and the number of people that you and I literally are standing on their shoulders of. And back in October of 2020, we showed a video that really highlights the history of our church. And I really want, I just wanted to start this month with that video. So I want you to turn your attention to the screen and I want you to, to watch this. This film is a testimony of God's goodness over our church.
that short video shows the the history a little bit, the faithfulness of God over the years. And the ground that we stand on today is on the shoulders of men and women who have gone before us, who have given of themselves. They've given blood, sweat, and tears. They've given financially. They've served. They've dreamed. They've worked hard. And from time in the last few years, we've made a lot of significant changes at Restoration Church, name change and location change. And one of the things I want to be sure we never do is disconnect from where we came from. Um, the scripture, I believe, over and over calls us to remember, to remember those who have gone before us, to remember that we're tied to them, to remember the things that we can learn from them. And from time to time, um, churches shift, they change, the vision changes, the focus changes. What never changes is the mandate that Christ said, take his message into all the world to make disciples. That never changes. Um, but what happens sometimes is churches forget aspects of mission, and there's correction. But as human beings, what we sometimes do is overcorrect. And as we go through the month of June, we're going to talk about some of the changes. We're going to talk and highlight about some of the people that have gone out from our church and the ways that God has used them, some of the things that have been a part of this body that I think we need to reconnect to, that maybe we've overcorrected and walked away from, that I think are an important part of who we are at Restoration Church. And so all that's going to get tied into this month. And I hope when we come to the end of the month, that we're going to have a fresh perspective on what God is calling us to do in our community as we're tied to what he's done, been doing all along. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, it says about, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is all about these men and women of faith, which by the way, some of them had good things happen, and then some of them got sodden too. Some of them who decided to be faithful to God got cut in half, physically. Some of them got eaten by lions. Now chew on that for a second, because if you're, if you're making Jesus Lord, you're giving him permission to either flourish you or allow your life to be taken. And the, the idea in our American culture that we've gotten to, where our goal is to safely arrive at death, I mean, we have missionaries that have gone out from this nation to other parts of the world who pack their belongings in coffins expecting to never return. And somehow we've drifted from that to, I want, I want to be just happy. And if something doesn't make me happy, well, then I'm not going to do it. Is he Lord or not? I promise you, if you give your life for him, you will not regret it. You won't. If you hold it back, you will. You will. That I can assure you. It may not be the best existence on this planet the first time around, but you will be blessed if you give your life for him. So he lists all these people, then he says they were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I believe as we look at Scripture all the way through, God ties us together from beginning to end. He has been doing something from the beginning. He has not changed His plan. He has not altered His plan. From the beginning, 
God has had a plan for this world. And he has called human beings to be partners with him in what he's doing. And we have a record of men and women who have answered that call. You just saw a record of other men and women who have answered that call. And you and I, now together as Restoration Church, are going to be answering that call together again. And as we do, next week we're going to talk about how do we know God's will for our church? Or how do I know God's will for my life? This is a question people ask all the time. Like, as if there is this one perfect will that we have to find. God has one, and if you deviate, you're going to mess up his plan. I believe this book outlines, God doesn't have this perfect plan that you have to choose, and you have to like, if you don't choose wrong, but that God calls us together as partners, and if we walk according to his will, he says, you pick, you build, you create. I'm going to come. He took Adam into the garden to see what he would name the animals. I mean, was God sitting there watching Adam name the animals? And here comes the hippopotamus, and Adam says elephant, and he's like, no. And I think sometimes we lock ourselves into this thing that we've got to find this. And that's where I've got to find the perfect spouse. And then I, well, I married the wrong spouse. You didn't marry the wrong spouse, you became the wrong spouse. Ooh, that'll preach a sermon, but not today. Not today. We've got to move on from that. We're going to talk more about that next week. But as we look at defining relationships, the most important thing is how we look at this book. And over the last several months, we've talked about making sure we look at this book more as a narrative that's being told from beginning to end, how God, what, what is God's plan for this earth and how he's called humans to partner with him in it. I believe Jesus came as the perfect example to what humans should have been doing all along. The reason that Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, is because he expects us to live like he did. Because he was the perfect example of what always God expected from his people. Jesus didn't come to show us that we could never have done it. We could have done it had we chose it, but we didn't choose it. He came, and he fulfilled it, and he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and now you're going to fulfill it. You're going to walk it out. And those are some of the things we're going to talk about. But as we've talked about this book, far too many of us use this book just as a moral code. Like, a moral code, not even just for our own lives, but how to tell other people. Like, we think that it's our job to be the moral compass of the entire world. This book is not given to us to be the moral compass of the entire world. This book is given to us to show us how to live as the people of God so that the other people that are not in the community of faith will see that community of faith and be brought into the community of faith and then they will know how to live. We can't expect people that don't have the Spirit of God to live according to the Word of God. It just We're fighting a battle we can't win. And rather than live as the community that God has called us to live so that people get brought into the kingdom and are transformed by the power of God, we're trying to fight a battle on, on, a, on a scene and it's just not working. When we see God's purpose and how he's created us to come alongside of him and establish his order, his will, we, we understand that there can be a creative freedom to the expressions of our faith. That every church has, doesn't have to be like us. That every believer doesn't have to see everything just like us. That there is creativity and there is freedom with Jesus at the core. 
And we'll look at that as we go. The danger of looking at the Scripture in that moral compass, basic instructions before leaving earth mode, is that we separate our, our lives into two patterns, sacred and secular. Sacred and secular. This is not a biblical dichotomy. This is a Greek philosophy. This, this idea that we are flesh and spirit. I know it looks like the Bible teaches we're flesh and spirit, but I promise you this is a Greek teaching more than it's a scriptural teaching. The idea that some of my life is sacred. So I pray, I read my Bible, I go to church, and that's like my sacred part. But then there's a secular part of me. You know, like when I go to the movies, that's the secular part of me. Or when I listen to music on the radio, you know, when I turn the country station on, that's the secular part of me. When I, when I do certain activities, when I'm involved in sports, or that's sec- sacred, secular, and then there's sacred. And we've developed a whole system. We have Christian music and we have secular music. We have Christian jewelry and we have secular jewelry. Christian, this book does not outline a sacred-secular divide. It calls us into a life with God, a life with Him, where every part of me, if you don't have to be paid by the church to be in ministry. Every single one of us is in ministry. Our lives are His. And however he's called you to live, you live as his minister in this world. We've divided it recently. Well, this isn't really a recent development. It's just picked up loudness recently. Where the idea that the gospel is separated from social issues. It's not. If you actually look back into the scripture and you look at all of the reasons given why the nation of Israel went into exile you'll find God condemned them for idolatry. You will. He also condemned them more than idolatry for the lack of Sabbathing. They wore out the land. They did not give the land rest according to what God said. Hey, here's my pattern for living. I want you to trust me, and I don't want you to ruin my creation. In fact, the number of years they were in captivity were tied to the number of years they didn't Sabbath. That's how much God thought that social issue was a problem. I mean, climate change, global warming, the fact that we just, we don't care about our environment is not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. As human beings, we've been charged to be caretakers of this planet. It's not just this idea that, well, it's all going to burn up one day. We better not care about it. False. We better care about it because that's what we've been given. They oppressed the poor. They oppressed their workers. They withheld the wages from their workers against the Scripture. They mistreated foreigners. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, you will find way more social issues that God gives rather than spiritual issues for why they went into captivity. And yet today we say, well, the, we got to just focus on the fact that Jesus, we need to get people involved in Jesus and, and we got to give them the gospel and we got to get into heaven and it's all about heaven. And I promise you this, every single denomination in the United States and around the world focuses on social issues outside the borders of the United States. This is how we do missions. We don't dare go into a country around the world and begin preaching before we build a well. 
before we feed the people that are hungry, before we offer medical care to people that need it, before we offer dentistry, before we offer haircuts, orphanages, hospitals, schools. In fact, if you study American history, you'll find out that most of those establishments in this country were started by Christians who believed it was their commission to care for the poor. And then somewhere along the line, someone thought it would be a good idea for the government to start doing that. (laughs) And, And look, it's failed. If the church would be the church and understand that social issues and gospel issues go hand in hand, calling out injustice is a gospel issue. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. I'll show you from Matthew chapter 6. It's a, it's a gospel issue, I promise you. We are a church that believes in turning the world purple. If you remember the video that we used from the Bible Project, that we don't see this divide between creating flourishing in our community between practical things and spiritual things. We think there's an overlap. We are called to be practical and we are called to be spiritual. We are called to bring hope and flourishing everywhere we go. We are called to be the best workers in our workplace. We are called to, be care, to care for our neighbors, to care about our community, to build this kingdom within a kingdom, if you will. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. This is why it's, it matters how we view this book. If we view it in the wrong way, we're going to separate some of these things that should not be separated. And one of those is relationships. See, you and I have been taught... Over the years, by the way, most of these teachings that I'm highlighting today are really have only been around about 200 years. If you go back to early church fathers, what what I'm saying today actually lines up more with our early church fathers until Constantine became a Christian and legalized Christianity. Christianity became a state religion, if you will. And from that, we've developed this Western idea of what the gospel is all about. So when we look at relationships... How do we take the the relationships we're supposed to have with God and how we're supposed to have with the church and how we're supposed to have with the world and how do we define them? How do we look at them? Well, we've been taught. You're supposed to prioritize them the way that Westerners do. We're, We're good Westerners. So we, God first, family second, church third. Let me ask you this question. Does this book teach that? Now, I guarantee you, this book gives every single one of us a responsibility we have toward God. It gives us responsibilities we have towards our families. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Honor your parents. Parents, train your children. Don't exasperate them, but don't just be uh, hands-off. I don't want to squelch their personality. Train them. Train them to be respectful. Train them to be respectful of the elderly. But see, in our church world, we like to separate the elderly from the teenagers, and ne'er too shall they mix. And yet this book all the time says the younger should look to the older, and the older should train the younger. 
And we have this whole way of doing church where we break up into our preferences. Uh, okay, everyone who likes this style, you go over here. And everyone who likes that style, you go over there. And yet all this book actually tells us we need one another because if I only gather around my style, my age group, my preference, I am going to be stunted and I will not mature and be perfect and complete the way God has called me to be. We've got to find a way to bring these relationships together. In our world today, people talk about the, the word joy. Also, if you want to have joy, here's another one. Jesus, others, then you. That's how we do it. We put Jesus first, then others, then you. But the problem with this is, a lot of times, this goes to such an extreme that we don't do any self-care. I always put others first, and then I neglect everything I need. And then I burn out. That's not right either. So when I think of relationships biblically and how to define them, this is the design I came up with. It kind of looks messy, doesn't it? I think relationships are messy. I don't think there's a black and white, always this person first. I don't know that it's always family first. Not to the expense of my relationships in the church. There has to be a level of overlap in the body of Christ. If you look at Mark chapter 3, Jesus, when he comes, he, his, he comes to earth, he has a mother and he has brothers, family. Verse 31 says, they've arrived where Jesus is teaching. Standing outside, they send someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus is not giving permission to disregard our family. The scripture is full of other uh, passages that talk about the responsibilities that we have to our families. So that's not what he's saying. But neither is Jesus saying that our blood relationships always trump our, our church relationships. In fact, there should be in the body of Christ a bond that is created that is stronger than the bond of giving birth to a child. Think about that for a second. Those of us in this room that come from different backgrounds, come from different political ideologies, that come from different upbringings, that have all kinds of different thoughts in our heads, different preferences... The Spirit of God should create a bond stronger than a mother having a baby with a child. They should. You can't force that. I can't guilt you into it. The only way it can happen is supernaturally. So if, there's, if that bond is not happening in our lives, you and I ought to be on our knees saying, God, it needs to be happening. Because the only way they're going to see a difference is if it happens. Otherwise, we'll live with our relationships separate in these nice little boxes, ne'er too shall they ever mix. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus comes along and he talks to the Pharisees. He says to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in an order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses his father and mother is to be put to death. But you say... 
that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, or that which is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. In other words, there are people that have family members that they need to use some of their resources to help, and the Pharisees are saying, nope, you have to dedicate that to God. As if helping your family isn't worship. Ah, the overlap. Now, could you, could you do the opposite? Could you take money that actually should probably go to the Lord and say, no, i got to use this for my family because we got to go to Disney this year because we got to have family time. I mean, Pastor, you wouldn't want us to have family time. Well, when is the family time in the body of Christ? When is the family time in the house of prayer? When is the family time in places that, I mean, Disney's great, but that's not going to bring you together in the Spirit of God the way maybe praying with other saints might. But not all the time. Should you never go to Disney? No, I don't want you to feel guilty when you go to Disney. I want you to go to Disney. Go to Disney! But this is why it's so hard to define because there's not a black and white. But here's what I know. You and I can be selfish. We can twist the word to give us whatever we want it to say. And we have to wrestle with these relationships because here's what I know. This is a communal book. I have a dream that one day someone, maybe me, is going to put out a translation that takes all of the plural use and puts them different so we see them. Maybe it needs to be a southern translation because we could just put y'all in there. Like every time it's plural, we could be like y'all. And then every time it's singular, we could put you. So that we know the difference. Did you know there are 4,720 times the word you is used here that are plural? And you and I have absolutely no way in our English Bibles to know which is plural and which isn't. Is that a big deal? Yeah, I think it is. Because in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says, You are the, the temple of God's Spirit. And if you destroy that temple, God will destroy you. Well, and that's easy to think, well, yes, I am. And here's the thing. Yes, we are the temple. We, the Holy Spirit lives in us individually, yes. But Paul is not talking about destroying my body. Like saying if you, you know, eat too much MSG or if you, like, yeah, you should eat healthy. I'm not saying you shouldn't eat healthy. But he's talking about the communal body. And so if you sow discord in the communal body, watch out, because he's coming for you. Because he loves nothing more than his body. His body. And there are so, I mean, there's 4,719 other times. And it's so easy in our Western culture to make this book all about God's love letter to me. My personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not that those things aren't true. But that's not why this book was given. This book was given to say God has always been wanting the human race to be His representatives and He has shown us what His will is and He's called us collectively into this. I mean, the idea that we, we bandy about that if you were the only one, Jesus would have still died for you. It doesn't even matter because none of us is the only one. I mean, yes, he loves us. Yes, the hairs on our head are numbered. But the communal aspect cannot be lost. 
There are passages all throughout the New Testament. I didn't put these on the screen because there was just, there, I would over, listen to them. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Agree with one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Sing to one another. Submit to one another. In relationships with one another, have the same mind Christ had. Forgive one another. Teach and admonish one another. Love one another. Spur one another on. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Walk in humility toward one another. Fellowship with one another. I didn't repeat any, but they're repeated multiple times. If our lives together don't reflect that one another, it's time to make a change. As much as it depends on me. Not on everyone else. Everyone else doesn't need to change as much as it depends on me. Am I that committed to this local body of believers? In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the, Jesus is talking, uh, or Paul is talking about unity in the body of Christ, growing up into maturity, and he says that this very famous passage, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, here's the thing. In our world today, everybody's a pastor that works for a church. The word pastor in this passage, this is the only time in the entire New Testament it's even used. The only time. And it's really the word for shepherding, not pastor. We've just translated it as pastor. And yet, I'll ask you, how many apostles or prophets or evangelists or teachers do we have in the body of Christ? And where did it say that these are the hired people? It doesn't. It does not make that dichotomy. It actually, really, if you look at the, the Greek language, means that in the body of Christ, every single one of us is either apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, or teacher. Every member of the body. And here's the funny thing. These aren't even biblical terms. Remember when I taught you that the gospel, the good news, was a political term brought into the gospel, into our, our scripture, into our narrative? Every single one of these terms are used in Roman culture, brought into the church. This is how God designed human nature to flourish. Now, without him, it's broken. It's a broken system. An evangelist would be the, the advertising guru at your company. The guy that sells the product. Man, they're good at it. But can I tell you, without the Spirit of God, those gifts won't operate well. But those things exist out there and they exist in here. And every one of us has a calling to be a part of it. Every single one of us is called to be connected to the body of Christ. How, how well are we doing at that? That's the question that we're going to wrestle with over the next couple of weeks as we talk about our church, as we talk about the history of our church. I want to share one last thing before I close today. Because I mentioned that sometimes when you make a lot of changes, you disconnect from the history of our church. One of the things that I fear we have disconnected from in the history of our church is in the area of missions. We, 
as long as I have been at this church, which is 25 years this June, um, I don't feel old enough to have been here 25 years, but I started when I was 10. So it's okay. 25 years, the one thing I've always known about this church is it had a heart for, for missions. Can I tell you this? Brad last week did an amazing job of telling us God has a heart for missions. God cares about the people all around the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was so a part of the culture of this church. I'm going to introduce you next week to some missionaries that have been sent out from this church as a result of that. See, when we don't talk about missions, when we don't give to missions, what happens is we stop going to missions. And that's my fear, that our kids, our teens, are going to stop feeling called to missions if we disconnect from missions. I think for a season in the history of our church, we got heavy on foreign missions and not so much our own community. So we tried to adjust that. We became Huron First Assembly of God because we wanted to focus on Huron First. I mean, we, the gospel here and around the world. But what I think has happened over time is we've overcorrected this thing. And now we think about our city and how to make our city flourish disconnected from what's happening around the world. And I want to try to bring us back to where we value both. I liken it to when you come into Restoration Church, uh, it's like joining a family. Um, my daughter got married last summer, last June. And uh, the, the guy she married, great family, missions family, ministry family. But we didn't go through like the list of their family members and be like, um, you know, we'll, we'll take some as our relatives, but we, we, we don't want all those. No, we, I mean, you're, you're literally marrying into a whole nother family. So you, as you've become a part of Restoration Church, we have global partners all around the world. And you might come and think, well, yeah, but I wasn't a part of that. Yeah, you were, because you are, because we're connected to our history. And over the years, we've put these out there. They're on the table again. And we're not going to talk about faith promises today. We're going to talk about them at the end of the month. But I'm going to challenge you to give regularly to global partners every single month. See, there's something about um, saying, well, you know, I'll give as I, you know, as I think about it. I'll give as I, you know, you know every once in a while. You know, I'll, I'll, what happens is every once in a while it never really seems to come. And one thing this church is really good at is if I present a need, man, you guys respond like nothing. I mean, it is like, sometimes I have to say, stop giving. Uh, we sent out letters for Micaiah's missions trip. And man, the, I, I had to tell people to stop giving. I'm like, never in the history of my life have I ever asked people to stop giving um, that I could recall. But the, the, the giving to specific needs is over the top. You, we're generous. It's great. But we miss the faithfulness of God watching him provide watching that increase. There are, are history, people in the history of our church that gave 30, 40, 50% of their income to missions. How did they get there? They didn't start there, but they began to test the faithfulness of God. We'll talk about that later in the month. But it's easy to be a part of the body of Christ 
and think of ourselves as a, you know, I'm just a part of the, the, the body of Christ around the world. But when we start putting a face to it, I'm a part of the body of Christ right here at Restoration Church. These are my partners that I pray for, that I give to. And you know what? If you can only give $5 a month, give $5 a month. If you can do, the idea isn't the amount. The idea is I got to start. I've got to be committed. I believe if every member of our body made a commitment, God would honor that. I really, I believe that. I believe if we would unify around this concept and say, I can't do much, but I can do something. And I'm going to commit to it. But you know what? We're afraid of commitment. Because once I get locked into, I'm, am I ever allowed to say no? Can I tell you, we don't call you. I don't send you letters. You, I mean, you get a giving statement from the bookkeeper, but she doesn't write a note that says, I see you've been lagging behind. That's not what this is about. It's about a partnership that has to be created, and sometimes it needs a practical step to make it happen. So, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig deeper. We're going to talk about some of these things over and over again. And one thing that I want us to continue to remember is how can I be more constant at the table of intimacy, the table of community, and the table of connection? Like, how do I define these relationships in a biblical way as much as it depends on me? What does that look like? And so, Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth to make a way for us to come back into relationship with you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, over these next month, as we talk about defining the relationship with you, with your calling on our lives, with this body of believers, with the universal body in our community and even around the world, as we talk about our relationships with people in the world and how those should look, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to see things in the scripture that we've not seen before. Help us to reflect on them in a way that we've not reflected before. Help us to take practical steps in our lives to, to reconnect or to connect for the first time in a way that we never have before with you, with members of this body, and with people in our community. And so, Holy Spirit, do that work in us. God, I don't want this message, I don't want this series to be guilt-driven. I don't want anyone to do anything out of guilt Holy Spirit, I want you to put love in our hearts that begins to transform all of our choices, all of our decisions, the ways that we see things and the ways that we act. And so Holy Spirit, would you do that work in us as we walk through this month together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today and I uh, hope you're looking forward to the next couple of weeks together. Don't forget to stop by the table in the back. If you've never taken one of these faith promise cards, take one, read it, begin to pray over it. Um, the last Sunday of the month, we're really going to talk about this and give you an opportunity to make that faith promise. These envelopes are out there as well. The prayer guides are out there on the table as well for this coming month. Lots of information. Please stop by the table as you leave today. Today is our tithes and offerings and global outreach offering. Those baskets are on the table as well. God bless you as you go. Thanks for being here today.